0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen.
1: Father in heaven, as we um, study uh, your inspired words today, we ask um, ask that you will truly draw near to us, Um, not just teach us, but accomplish your will in our hearts and in our minds. and We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're a smaller group today. So my title is The Word Made Flesh. The Word Made Flesh. So we're going to uh, define that for a moment. Thanks for the reminder. And then we're going to we're talk about a certain view that Sort of puts Jesus far from us. And then we're going to talk about really just how close Jesus is to us. Okay? So it's very simple. All right. The Word made flesh, which of course you recognize, comes from John 1, verse 1. We're starting here in Genesis 28, verse 12, which says, and you know this is about Jacob. He said, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it." Now here, the book Desire of Ages, page 301, makes a direct comment on this. It says that Christ is the ladder that Jacob saw, the base resting on the earth, and the topmost round reaching to the gate of heaven to the very threshold of glory. And then she says, If that ladder had failed by a single step of reaching the earth, we should have been lost. But Christ reaches us where we are. He took our nature and overcame that we, through taking His nature, might overcome. There we have Uh, If that ladder had failed by a single step of reaching the earth, we should have been lost. Our Savior reaches us where we are. That is really the theme for today right there. W. W. Prescott, who was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor way, way long ago, first generation really, uh, one of his sermons, he commented on this passage. It appears he was probably reading the book Desire of Ages. He says, this is the lesson actually this is the lesson of Jacob's ladder. It rested on the earth where Jacob was, but the topmost round reached to heaven. When Christ comes to help man out of the pit, he does not come to the edge of the pit and look over and say come up here and I will help you back. He says, "Hi." He goes on if man could help himself to the point from whence he has fallen, he could do all the rest. If man... Jill, if man could help himself up to the point from whence he has fallen, he could do all the rest. If he could help himself one step, he could help himself all the way. But it is because man is utterly ruined, weak, and wounded, and broken to pieces, in fact, perfectly helpless, that Jesus Christ comes right down where he is and meets him there. As I said, that's really the theme for today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, we have this marvelous passage here. Um, it says, Therefore, when he, that is when the Savior came into the world, he said, So this was some 2,000 years ago, a voice was heard. And here's the quote Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So I mean, the the plan of redemption is in this passage here. Um, First of all, it's clear that the formality, as it became, of the sacrificial system was not working. Lies were not changed. And so the Son of God had a body prepared for him. And, the last part says exactly what he was going to do in that body. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. So that is, you know, again, very simply, Jesus came uh, as is in our passage today, um, he became flesh, and he did so in order to um, do God's will. He came to do God's will in the flesh, we can say. OK? And that's that is a big part of the plan of redemption. So now to our actual verse that our title is based on. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's really as far as we're going to get in that verse today. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? So I'm just going to talk uh, real fast about the word. You know, a couple slides on that, and then uh, quite a bit about became flesh. What does that mean? So, uh, I'm going to use Hebrews 1, verse 3 to describe who the Word was. We could speak a long time on this. It's deep and there's a lot of background. But Hebrews 1, verse 3, I think very well uh, describes the same uh, second person of the Godhead when it says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. So that 's what Jesus was, he was the outshining of god 's glory. You know uh, the Bible speaks of uh, you know no man can look upon God and so on, and that 's um, what Jesus was, and that 's certainly what he became on earth wasn 't it, so that we could see the character that is the glory of the Father, but that is uh what he was in heaven, he was the brightness or the outshining. Or the visible manifestation of God's glory. The express image of His person. That would include His character, His purposes, and so on. The Phillips translation, I like it. It says, The radiance of the glory of God. Flawless expression of the nature of God. The Word. Okay. So, and then the wonderful book, uh, Desire of Ages, puts it very simple. He was the Word of God. God's thought made audible. God's thought made audible. So we can understand it. So we just skipped a lot of theology and so on and so forth. It's very simple. He was the exact representation. Uh, As the Son of God, He perfectly reflected the glory of God. The Word. Now I just skipped a ver- I skipped a slide, and i 'm on John 1 eighteen, as you can see. Jesus himself talked about this. He said, "No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him again, talking about the word the only begotten he has declared him, He is made manifest now uh I talked about this the other day, John 1.3, all things were made, you know, all things became through Him. Describing the Word again. All things were made, and the Greek is simply, all things became through Him. That, uh, and of course, it's so, so astounding then that the Word Himself became, that is, became flesh. From the book Selected Messages, uh, there's two of those wonderful books, this happens to be the first volume, page 244, and it says, notice this, the humanity of the Son of God is everything to us. So, the human nature of the Son of God is everything to us. It is the golden chain that binds our souls to Christ and through Christ to God. Let that sink in a little bit. So the human nature of Jesus, the humanity of the Son of God, is everything to us. It is the golden chain that binds us to to Him. So Jesus' humanity is the golden chain that binds us to, to Jesus. And through Jesus, to God. And notice, it's very convenient I have this here, still introducing today's topic. This is to be our study. Actually, it's you know by design. Okay. So the humanity of the Son of God is to be our study. And the uh, magazine, Signs of the Times, which is still in existence today, uh, but this is back July 30, 1896, We find these words. It says, Divinity and humanity were mysteriously combined, and man and God became one. So, divinity and humanity were mysteriously combined, and man and God became one. So, it was mysterious, they were mysteriously combined. So that means that we can't understand everything about this, right? (laughs) But notice it is in this union that we find the hope of our fallen race. So we read two statements there the humanity of the Son of God is everything to us. And here it is in this union, divinity and humanity combined, that we find the hope of our fallen race. Volume 7 of the commentary, 7b, as they call it, oh, 7 Bible Commentary, okay, it says, page 926, In Christ were united the divine and the human, the creator and the creature. Notice this. The nature of God, whose law had been transgressed. And the nature of Adam, the transgressor, meet in Jesus. The Son of God and the Son of Man. This is just incredible. So, the nature of God, whose law had been broken, and the nature of Adam, who broke the law, meet in Jesus. It really is a mystery, isn't it? Paul wrote, you know, "Great is the mystery of God, in as God was manifest in the flesh." Again, from First Selected Messages. This was not done by. This was not done by going out of himself to another but by taking humanity into himself. So, we need to think about that. <laughs> I've been thinking about it for several months. <laughs> and uh, so, Jesus was still who he was. He was the Son of God. Okay, and There was not a third entity added. It was like, Jesus was still in heaven, this is a third entity separate from him. No. This was not done by going out of himself to another, but by taking humanity into himself. So that's step one. That's there's a lot to think about there. But it goes on. It says, thus, in other words, in this way, Christ gave to humanity an existence out of himself so christ gave to humanity an existence out of himself speaking of humanity as i understand it here okay that existence is in jesus it says to bring humanity into christ to bring the this is really the to bring humanity into christ To bring the fallen race into oneness with divinity is the work of redemption. I'm going to read it again. To bring humanity into Christ. To bring the fallen race into oneness with divinity is the work of redemption. Think about that. You know, um, we have to be careful, don't we? When we give our Bible studies or have our meetings, you know, we we have a certain body of knowledge we want people to have, and that knowledge is precious to us. But here is where the rubber meets the road, really. Uh, in fact, um, we can sincerely keep the wrong day, and we, we and we're united to Jesus, we are going to be saved. And we can keep the right day without being united to Jesus. There's no value. Uh, So, again, this is just to bring humanity into Christ, to bring the fallen race into oneness with divinity is the work of redemption. Redemption. So we've seen already three strong statements about the importance of the humanity of Jesus. Continuing, Christ took human nature, that men might be one with Him, as He is one with the Father. So, you know, He is more than our representative. You know what I'm saying? He's We're we're one with Him. So Christ took human nature that men might be one with Him as He is one with the Father. That God may love man as He loves His only begotten Son. That's Ephesians 1, isn't it? Uh, He's made us accepted in the Beloved, in the one whom He loves. That men may be partakers of the divine nature and be complete in Him. Summarizing what we've said so far I can say that without Jesus human nature we have no way to become partakers of the divine nature and without becoming partakers of the divine nature you know we are we are lost we might be very religious we might be very strict But we're, we have no life. Thomas Torrance, I quoted him the other day. I really appreciate what he writes here. Uh, By the way, he was the chaplain in World War II. I, I couldn't think the other day when I mentioned his very touching story. Here he wrote, this means that in the, and he used the Greek words, okay, which I just put the English here. So in the, became flesh, we have something unique. A relation between God and man, the Creator and the creature, which has no parallel anywhere in creation. Okay. So, and of course, this goes without saying, but it's something to put in our minds. Um, Jesus became flesh. Uh, it's a relation between God and man. A relation between the Creator and the creature, which could not be closer. There's no parallel, or parallel anywhere in creation. He goes on to say, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ has no existence apart from, or different from, or parallel to God's existence. We read that uh, a couple of statements ago. How, that, um, how, that, how was it put? He, oh yeah, this was not done by going out of himself to another. Is what uh, the book uh, Selected Messages says. Here it says, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ has no existence apart from, or different from, or parallel to God's existence. He has His existence only in this divine act of condescension. He has His existence only in this divine act of condescension in which God gathers man into coexistence with Himself. Again. the only existence that the second person of the Godhead has is, as we learned the first day, is an existence. Sorry, I got to get to the back here. Get to the is an existence in which he is tied to humanity forever. You get that? Wow. He has his existence only in this divine act of condescension in which God gathers man into coexistence with himself. I mean, Jesus will never go anywhere throughout eternity without his humanity. He he can go anywhere in the farthest reaches of the universe. He's still taking his humanity because that's who he is. That's who He stepped down to be. It's virtually saying that God, um, and this thought is not original to me in any way, but that God has chosen, uh, He would rather not exist than be without the human race. Goes on. That means that they're in the Word made flesh. God and man are so related in Jesus Christ that Jesus exists as man only as far as He exists as God. And yet, as God, He also has an existence as flesh. Or sarx, which is the Greek word. This is life-changing truth. The book Desire of Ages, page 25. Uh, we read this uh, Monday it says, "In taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. Through the eternal ages, he is linked with us." Once in a while, you're going to see this in here because I just made a bunch of these and started, you know replacing, so then I forget. I didn't quite get them all deleted anyway. The uh, pastor, he knows. <laughs> That's what you do, right? All right. Keep the same format. Anyway, from the youth instructor in the year 1900, December 20. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us because by so doing he could associate with the sinful, sorrowing sons and daughters of Adam. Jesus wanted to be just as close to us as Almighty power could, allot, could, could bring to pass, which is extremely close to us. He became one with us. He was made flesh, because by so doing, He could associate with the sinful, sorrowing sons and daughters of Adam. That's you and I. He wanted to leave heaven and associate with us. William Temple, an Anglican bishop, in his book, Christian Faith and Life, page 55, put it this way. He said, when John wanted to make his great proclamation, he did not say the Word became man. He deliberately took the Word, which represents the lowest elements in human nature, and said, the Word became flesh. He's, he's saying here that the word man and the word flesh, biblically, are two different things, two different meanings. Okay. The word flesh has um, sinful connotations to them. I mean, I should say, uh, is, are, is related to sin. Put it that way, okay? And you can you know, just read you know, Paul's writings and so on. You, you can see that. He deliberately chose the word flesh. Hebrews 2, verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted. Again, we just see the emphatic nature of this. He himself. You know, it was the real Jesus. He suffered being tempted. Therefore, He's able to help those who are tempted. That's, what, that's why He became one with us, so that He could associate with sinful, sorrowing sons and daughters of Adam. Hebrews 4.15, He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We, we should be clear on this. Um, Uh, Joanne and I had a really a daughter uh, from Romania. And um, uh, you know, uh, I met her in a little village in Romania, and we she graduated from Andrews University and went on to get a master's degree, but at a certain point she had a decision to make, you know. And as we talked about it, it came down to, you know, basically, well, Jesus doesn't understand, you know, doesn't have the same feelings that I have. But he does understand. He did have the same feelings. We have to be solid on this. There's power in that. There's joy in that. There's encouragement in that. Desire of Ages, page 24, says, As one of us, He was to give an example of obedience. For He took upon Himself our nature and passed through our experiences. He became fully one of us. Notice, it goes on to say here, that if we had to bear anything which Jesus did not endure, then upon this point, Satan would represent the power of God as insufficient for us. So, if we have to bear anything which Jesus did not endure, then upon that very point, Satan would represent the power of God as unable to reach us. Therefore, Jesus was in all points tempted as we are. The very, very early Christian writer uh, who, who uh, made the statement that, um, that that which is not assumed is not healed. Okay? So, Jesus took human nature unto himself, so that he could heal human nature. And uh, here it's saying if, if he had anything to bear that we, uh, you know, that if we have anything to bear that Jesus did not endure, then the great controvert, that's one of the great purposes, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but that's one of the great purposes of the plan of redemption and certainly of the incarnation is to answer the accusations that God was unfair. And it's, I think, common sense that if Jesus didn't become fully like us, then he didn't really answer the accusation, which we'll see, I'm pretty sure, as we move on here. But continuing. So, Desiree Bages, page 24. He endured every trial to which we are subject, and he exercised in his own behalf no power, that is not freely offered to us. As man, he met temptation and overcame in the strengths given him from God. And I will say that um, the reason that he, he exercised in his own behalf no power that is not freely offered to us, Well. In His humanity, He had no power to exercise that we don't have. Therefore, He was totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we are. Of course, He could have used His divinity in various situations, but that would have broken up the plan of redemption. Are we okay? Okay. as man he met temptation and overcame in the strength given him from God. Anders Nygren, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, a uh, Lutheran bishop he was, in, in Sweden, still commenting on uh, our verse, the word became flesh, he wrote, out of the, out of, quote, the flesh, Arose for him the same temptations as for us. By the way, but in all this he was master of sin. Okay, we're we're clear on that, right? Uh, You know, he was tempted in all points, like as we are yet without sin. You know, I need to be crystal clear on that. But so out of quote the flesh arose for him the same temptations as for us. But in all this, he was master of sin." Now, you know, this might be almost, oh yeah, Jesus, you know, he overcame, but when we get the full picture. We clearly understand that he overcame for us. Uh, I'll just throw this in. On Friday, we'll see, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the relationship between what he did here and what it gives to us. It. it it, it should take all pressure from us. It's all in Him. But ministry Magazine, back in June 1985, I do not have the author here because I do not know the author. It was, a pseudonym was used at the time. And it's what it was uh, there in our Ministry Magazine. It said, contrary to the Grecian dualism, so Greek dualism, uh, you know, Greek philosophy, was, among other things, was that the body, you know, the, uh, anything having to do with the body was evil, was sin. Okay? This is, of course, this was really bought by the Catholic Church and then also came into Protestantism. Um, this is why, for example, uh, even though the Bible makes very clear uh, that, you know, the marriage bed is holy, uh, you know, priests do not marry because of this Greek philosophy. There's the spirit, which is good, and there's the body, which is bad. That's that's it. So, contrary to Greek philosophy, uh, which taught that early, excuse me, that early pervaded much of Orthodox Christianity, notice this, "...the flesh is not evil." So the word became flesh. I continue here, the quote, "...the flesh is not evil, nor does it sin of itself. Although the flesh is amoral, it does provide the equipment, the occasion, and the seat for sin if the human will is not constantly assisted by the Holy Spirit. A person born with sinful flesh need not be a sinner. Does that make sense? So a person, yeah. So Jesus became flesh does not make him a sinner. Okay. The will makes somebody a sinner. In the book Adventist Home, page 127, explains this. It says, The lower passions have their seat in the body and work through it. The words flesh or fleshly or carnal lusts embrace the lower corrupt nature. Now, the flesh of itself cannot act contrary to the will of God. We are commanded to crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts. And this is what Jesus did. The Word was made flesh, but flesh does not sin of its own. It requires a choice. And Jesus was in a constant state of the correct choice because He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Harold Roberts, who wrote an excellent book uh, on this topic, called Jesus and the Kingdom of God, page 78, said, It is also beyond dispute that we have a tendency, which has deep ramifications in the history of the race, to seek our own personal interests and to oppose the divine will. But although that tendency is so potent as to make sin highly probable, it does not make it Inevitable. This is a Protestant man who's saying, because we were born, you know, with a fallen nature, it doesn't make sin inevitable. It may be common, okay? But it's not inevitable. As Jesus made perfectly clear. All right. Now we step away from all that um, to the Catholic catechism, okay? Um which I have in my library. This is the latest one. I don't... Yeah, I'm quite confident of that. It's paragraph 411. The whole thing is organized by paragraphs, numbered paragraphs. So let me explain this, that you've heard the term Immaculate Conception. And most people, including uh, many Roman Catholic people, think that is a reference to Jesus being born in uh, some sort of... uh, Immaculate nature, if I can use that term. okay. But that's not what the Immaculate Conception is. The Immaculate Conception refers to, because they could not bear the thought that Jesus could be born from a woman who had a fallen nature. They couldn't figure that out. Therefore, Mary was immaculately conceived, and she gave birth to Jesus. This is the Roman Catholic teaching of Immaculate Conception. And here to explain, Mary benefited first of all and u- uniquely from Christ's victory over sin. She was preserved from all stain of original sin, and ha- by a special grace of God, committed no sin of any kind during her whole earthly life. Paragraph four nine one, quoting from Pope Pius the the most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved, immune from all stain of original sin. This is the teaching of Immaculate Conception, which has a huge influence in our our world today. Now, W. H. Branson, who... uh, you know, many decades ago was the general conference president, president of the General Conference. And in his book, "Drama of the Ages," you still see that around once in a while. page 81, he explained, he said, "The Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is that Mary, the mother of our Lord, was preserved from original sin." If this be true, then Jesus did not partake of man's sinful nature. Now, this is a General Conference president writing, This belief cuts off the lower rungs of the ladder and leaves man without a Savior who can be touched with the feeling of man's infirmities and who can sympathize with them. And then our book, Bible Readings for the Home, very um, useful book which was edited somewhat uh, 1949. This is actually from the, before the edit, but this particular section really wasn't changed that much, but I'm using this version. It says the idea that Christ was born of an immaculate or sinless mother inherited no tendencies to sin and for this reason did not sin removes him from the realm of a fallen world, and from the very place where help is needed. Okay, That which is not assumed is not healed. Again, this is Bible Readings from the Home, published for I don't know how many years, some Day Adventist Church. Um, the idea that Jesus was born of an immaculate or sinless mother and, and inherited no tendencies to sin... And for this reason, did not sin, removes him from us from the very place where help is needed. I love that. How many of our young people growing up, you, know, struggle? Um, and it's a shame because never really understood how close Jesus was to them. Okay, the same article, in Ministry magazine. Uh, that I quoted just a moment ago, June 1985. It says, The Jesus of the Middle Ages, immaculately conceived and barely touched by the troubles of humanity, was a logical result of Alexandrian Augustinian theology. Well, I can go all into that, but um, during the Middle Ages, sometimes at least in our circles, at least uh, A large part of that is referred to as the Dark Ages. Jesus was barely human. He was barely human. And uh, which slide are we on? 39. Thank you. Okay. We compare that with these verses. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise shared in the same. This is the plain words of the Bible, friends. Children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared in the same. This is good news. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. And that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. It is so beautiful. It is so rich. Jesus became so close to us that if you were the devil, what would you do? You would twist this truth. And this morning I would ask you, or appeal, or ask you, to just consider, um, one author I read, who uh, I chose not to quote, uh, but uh, I don't have it in my slides. In other words, he made the rather bold statement that, and um, I chose not to quote because I thought it might come across a little harsh. But, um, but it it is sad. you know that the. The Jesus that many people believe in never existed. The real Jesus became like us. So we have the Immaculate Conception, and we have these passages here, and these statements here. um, We need to ask ourselves, who is the Jesus that we Believe in that we are counting on for eternal redemption. All right, I covered a lot today, therefore I've left ten minutes for questions or comments. I'm ready. Yes, ma'am.
0: I don't know exactly how to ask, but it's something I'll just
1: just say it out. It'll make sense. Yeah.
0: Um, So he was tempted at all points as we are. Sometimes I wonder, because he's a male and I'm not male, how Uh do I relate to that? How does he relate to me? Because, yes, he did have a lot of temptations, I can't deny that, but Mm. women seem to have certain, like, we are, we we kind of follow our husbands. Like, we are just affected by what's happening around us. We don't have, we're not the authority in the home, et cetera. So maybe women have to deal with more covetousness or, Like other temptations like that, and but he didn't have that because he was male. So how do I relate? How do I make that statement true in my mind? I know it's true because it's in the Bible, but then I I still think, well, still he wasn't he wasn't a woman. He never had to carry a child. Yeah, raise children. (laughs) He never had either one at home.
1: Oh, I see a hand here. You have an answer to that? (laughs) How convenient. (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, So the questions asked that, um, you know, how, you know, although the questioner believes it, but is, wants to have a better grasp on her being a, a woman, a female, a mother, and so on. You know, How could Jesus be tempted in all points like as I am? Wait one second, we have a mother here that's <laughs> obviously one step. Yes, ma'am. Well, I've, I've
0: had the same thoughts that she's had, and uh-huh. I've done some studying on that, and... So I'm going to ask your opinion. Okay. Well, my understanding is, is in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve decided to eat the apple, what they were really deciding is they were going to be their own God, and they were not going to depend on God. They were were making their own decisions because the devil told them, you can be like like God. And so uh, that, to me, kind of represents the original sin is that you've separated yourself from God. Now you're gonna be your own God. And I think that that's our temptation today in all the sins that we commit. If we are separated from God, then we are able to, to, you know, we're the devil's playground to do whatever he wants us to do. And Jesus, that was his temptation. To work on his own rather than to depend totally
1: on every aspect of Wow, that's a wonderful uh, addition to the discussion, isn't it? Uh, And there's, I'll say that's true. Uh, What she said was basically that, you know, the original sin, I put that in quotes because that means different things in different circles, but, you know, the first sin, put it that way, uh, basically involved. it certainly involved a rejection of God and His will. It involved, you know, therefore choosing to be our own God. We're going to follow our own will. And that—that um, that is at the bottom of, um, as um, the speaker said, all temptation. Yes, ma'am. I think I was going
0: to ask something. She's saying that the, the root of all seed. So it doesn't matter what gender the who of us they we chat. We're hearing, I want you to be our own God. Yeah.
1: Okay, so you're affirming what she said. Uh, okay. I, this ladies first. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> yes, ma'am. It seems to me like I recall in Ellen White's writings that
0: she made the comment that um, sin was totally. Um, ugly to Jesus, that's not the word she used. Painful. That he, he couldn't even consider sinning. So, how could we do? I mean, sin is attractive to us in many ways. So, that's kind of a confusing thing to me. And also, um, I've had the thought Jesus has never failed, and we fail daily. So, I have so okay. Much
1: confusion. Okay. Okay, so. You're saying you don't perfectly understand the incarnation. That's that's <laughs> nobody does. But what you said was um, that uh, yeah, Jesus was you know the some of the fiends. Is the word that is used that surrounded him. It was um, I can't remember the exact word, but it was it was painful to him. What was the word? Abhorrent. Abhorrent is exactly the word. Yeah, abhorrent to him. When we speak about Jesus uh, taking upon Himself human nature, we have to realize, uh, as one of our early preachers s- said, don't drag His mind into it. Okay, Don't drag His mind into it. He took upon Himself human nature. And I will say clearly, fallen human nature. But don't drag His mind into it. Okay, So that's number one. And the second thing you said was,
0: well, our failures. Jesus never failed, but we fail. I fail
1: daily. Um, yeah, well, the thing about that is, when we fail, that means that we never even reached the height of the temptation. We fell somewhere along the way. Whereas Jesus, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow, uh, the temptation of Jesus, and it's um, since He never failed, that means He endured the entire temptation. And, frankly, he was tempted 100 times greater than us. Yeah. And, okay, go ahead. I have got you. Oh, we're, we're, we're ladies first today.
0: <laughs> so Jesus, human and divine, when he was here, he yes. still knows he was Son of God. He, mm-hmm. he knew he was in heaven. He had a relationship with his Father. Mm-hmm. He knew all his friends, his angels. Mm-hmm. He's been there. Mm-hmm. Would that make it easier? Like I was there before. I have all the relationships. Mm-hmm. I knew the heaven, literally. But I'm still human. I'm
1: That's so glad it. you asked the question. So the question is: Since Jesus knew who he was, I mean, he knew he was in heaven. You can see that in you can see that in his prayers. He said, "Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was." Right. So Jesus knew. Therefore, would that make it easier for him? Actually, you know, you look at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was sorely tempted to say, forget it, I'm going back to heaven. It actually made it harder for him.
0: But then, Evangelion said that God closed his divinity at that moment so he couldn't see.
1: Exactly. that, That he was feeling the wrath of God against sin and that um, he could not see beyond the tomb because the wages of sin is death he was carrying that but so that's one thing for me oh I'm gonna die well you know it's been good but for Jesus he knew he was giving up you know he, he heard the angels sing he he had infinite you know intimate fellowship with his father intimate fellowship with the angels He knew what immortal life was. That's what he was being asked to. That's the struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he sweat drops of blood was laying down his life forever. A struggle we we will never be able to understand because we don't know what we're giving up. So that's my answer. You feel bad for him? You want me to call him? (laughs) I've known him a few years, so I, I can do that. Yes, sir.
0: One thing that I've appreciated, and I've verified this truth points is not in the Greek.
1: In all points?
0: Point. Points is an italicized word, as I understand it. And what the translation is, is to the full extent.
1: I will uh, comment on that tomorrow. Okay? I'll check that out. The word points not in, he's saying it to the full extent. Okay, uh, I, that's I, I, I'm not sure I ever heard. I, I've heard the phrase "full extent," but I haven't heard it in that context. One second, I just want to make sure that I um, get back to my response to your obviously very um, got us really thinking here. Your question, and I just come back to Hebrews four, you know, verse fifteen. It's very clear. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. With our weaknesses, you know, uh, we do have a high priest. Whether we're man, woman, whatever we are, he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he lived them. That's what I would say. Is that you've got a lot of good discussion here? Now, go ahead. We got one minute.
0: <laughs> this is impossible to talk about in one minute. I guess start, <laughs> You're talking about the issue of habitual sin. How can he relate to us when we have fallen and fallen with the same temptation mm-hmm. with Jesus? Okay. And because he never fell once.
1: But oh, the, you're going to answer it. You're not asking the question. You're repeating her question. Yeah. Okay.
0: The, there is something beautiful in what Jesus was called to do. It's he has a different role than we have. His role was to be the Savior. Our role is to be saved. He was—he was a combination of God and man because that's what we needed. We required the ladder that went from earth to heaven. Man mm-hmm. could not save himself, so Jesus had to be like us but different, and that difference was as essential as the likeness. And one of his differences was because he had been God from eternity, so his habitual his habits were to speak and it was done, to command and it stands fast, mm-hmm. to to lead the entire, you know, mm-hmm. all the angels of heaven to do mm-hmm. all of this. He had to come down and resist the temptation to take up his God nature and use that power. Exactly. He could not use that
1: power. So all those things were temptations that we don't really that have. Temp-
0: that was his temptation, to do the right thing, to be who he really
1: is. But the, And he had to get, yeah.
0: imagine trying to stay on the cross and be and be um, tortured
1: have, knowledge. have the power right. to
0: toast everybody right. <laughs> and have the power to come on, and have the power to do it. it's unthinkable what he had to to dis- self-discipline himself or through, right. the, through god's power and you can to s- not do it
1: exactly that's exactly and you can see there is a relationship between that and if i was tempted to you know slap this guy here <laughs> You know, it's the same, because I do have the power to do that. You see what I'm saying? It's the same, he so much the heart power. of the temptation is the same.
0: He had so much more power that he had to prevent himself from using, because he had to live this life as one of us, without tapping into any of that. He right. didn't even do his miracles to his own power. Right. He had to use mm-hmm. God's power to do the miracles. And that's how the devil was tempting him in the wilderness, is make that...
1: I believe he did use his own power to do miracles on behalf of others, just not on, on his behalf.
0: Mm-hmm. But then how could he identify with them? Then he did something mm-hmm. we can't have the opportunity to do he had used, I would have thought we God's
1: power So, there you go. There's some for everybody to study. And if you decide that she's right, then uh, just keep quiet about that. If you decide I'm right, then come back and let me know. All right. I better pray It's 1032. Okay. Heavenly Father, we have been face to face with infinite sacrifice, infinite love. Please help us to put ourselves uh, in your hands to to just bask in, <laughs> rejoice in, to rest in, to lean on uh, our very near Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen.
0: To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.